pandemic, I was offered basically my dream job. I got a call from the head of that news network. And like, here's and the job. He literally called me and I was like, I didn't even know I got my phone number. And he was like, here's the job I want to give you. And I, I sabotaged it because I, I was like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. They are wrong to think that I am smart enough to do this. Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Liz Plank. Liz is a journalist, author, and fellow podcast host. She built a massive audience covering the 2016 election and gave voice to women's issues when it was on the ballot sheet. She's written an internationally best-selling book titled For the Love of Men about toxic masculinity and has given a TED Talk about the topic too. She's also an incredibly insightful voice on the Man Enough podcast, which she co-hosts with Justin Baldoni and has just started a Twitch show with Recount Live as well. Among all this success where Liz has been a role model for young women in broadcasting, there is a side to her mental health, self-confidence, and childhood neglect that she's just now working on and ready to talk about. My full conversation with Liz Plank right after this quick break. Liz Plank, thanks for joining Imposters. Thank you for having me. So I want to start with something that you recently said on your own podcast, the Man Enough podcast. Um, you were actually the guest, so the the mics turned and you were the guest, not the host of this show. Um, I'm sure you remember my will. the conversation yeah. vividly. <laughs> um, but it was early in the interview, you said something which stood with me, which is not feeling enough is my baseline. Mm. That is what you said. And I want you to just explain what you meant by that and why. Yeah. Not being enough is my baseline. It, it just is my unfortunate programming from, you know, just childhood experiences. And, you know, as I'm sure you've talked about, because you talk a lot about the T word with trauma, right? Or with childhood experiences, it's not about what happens to you. It's about how you perceive it and how you encode it. And so I was kind of young when I was just experiencing a lot of complicated things inside my, my, my household. And the way that I perceived things that were happening to other people was that it was my fault and that I needed to be different or I needed to change the way that I was, or I needed to, you know, somehow I had a superpower to impact other people's moods so I could make them angry. And it was my fault if they were angry. Um, but also it was up to me to make them happy. And so, yeah, that was super fun. There's a really funny TikTok that's going around where the guy's like, if you ever performed for your family as a child, you have a mental illness now. Uh, and so that- <laughs> And it's both hilarious and kind of true. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it's like, and I think there's more support now. We talk more about therapy. We talk more about mental health than there was like in the nineties uh, yeah. when I was growing up. And so I had all these like stomach issues and all these weird, I mean, I spent most of like the fourth grade, like in the hospital, just doing a wide variety of tests, trying to figure out what was wrong. Yeah. And they put like a camera down my little tiny esophagus, like to like figure out what, the, and they were like, there's nothing there. We don't get it. What's up there? She must have a rare condition. We've never found it. It's like, um, I had so much anxiety, right? Wow. And now I'm able to see that. But at the time, 
you know, it was really hard to diagnose. I find what Liz is saying here so fascinating because we often think our mental health, be it depression, anxiety, OCD, bipolar disorder, you name it, we think about those things only existing in our minds. But Liz's anxiety, like many people, manifested in her body as well. And the point that she made about the anxiety coming from childhood trauma and the need to perform for her own family might have even helped her be an incredible host and correspondent on all of her shows, but the blowback of that trauma is something that she's only able to process now. You know, one of the big things that happened to me last year is that I joined uh, Al-Anon, which is a 12-step program okay. for people who have been affected by the disease of alcoholism in their families. And it's also kind of a 12-step program for codependency. If anyone is dealing with any of these issues, truly, I would highly encourage people to join that program. And the number one thing that you kind of learn inside that program is also that it starts with you, that a lot of what happens when you're not, you know, again, you don't have the support that you need is that then you start to want to control other people or start to, again, want to control with the substances. And so I try to really center things back onto myself. And that's also why I, I, I try not to like talk or like dwell on it. But I would say that the main way that it affected me was just kind of neglect. I, I would say that there was, yeah, not always someone around when I needed them around. And the thing with neglect that's very different from, you know, straight up abuse is that we often, the way that I kind of know that someone maybe has faced neglect as a child is that they go, my parents were amazing. No, no, no. My parents were perfect. They're incredible. They did the best that they could. And that's always when I'm like, okay, you know, yeah. sure. Like, yeah, where it feels a little over the top. Feels, where is that over the topness coming from? Exactly. Yeah. And I was that person. And I still, I mean, I love my family deeply. I'm so close to them. And I have so much respect for what they've done and what they've accomplished and what they've, they've overcome. But I was that person. And they've done studies showing that really neglect and abuse in the child of a brain and the impacts, um, short yeah. and long term are the same. Often it's the same. And also with something like neglect where, you know, it's harder to put your finger on it. I would imagine that for a lot of people, there's less awareness around the neglect yeah. unless you've explored some of these things. And also you almost maybe feel less permission to mm -hmm. like go and you talk do. to someone about it because it's like, oh, this isn't that big of a problem. Exactly. It's in that too. I, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. You know, I think that's such a good point. And you made this point earlier where it's not just the things that happen to you, but the things that yep. don't happen. And I think, again, that's harder to really be able to understand and make sense of because, again, there's not that one event. And again, yeah, C CPTSD uh, is so funny because have you ever been diagnosed by your TikTok feed? <laughs> where you're like, oh, my God. Well, we're like things will come up in your TikTok. This yeah. happened to me during that year, last year. And these TikToks would show up and would you know, kind of make a lot of sense to me or illuminate something I was, I was dealing with. And I was like, what? And then I would look at the hashtags and they always had yep. CPTSD below them, which is complex PTSD. Yep. So PTSD is one big thing happened, right? You know, sexual assault, a, a car crash, right? That one thing. And then you're relieving that. And there's all kinds of ways that it's triggered, but you kind of know that you're being triggered to that event. Yep. 
CPTSD is complex PTSD, and it is complex in the sense of it's actually emotional flashbacks. So I didn't know what an emotional flashback was, but learning about it in my TikTok feed with uh, the hashtag CPTSD really helped me understand and it. What, what is an emotional flashback? Essentially, with trauma, it's one part of your brain has encoded it, yep. and it's not the part of your brain that understands language, that understands time. And so it's like it's happening to you again, but again, it's not the sound of the car crash or the wheels turning. It's, it's the experience. It's the feeling. Yeah. And so it'll be sometimes so innocuous. It'll be like, I mean, this is a, a good example. I, I did really think I was stupid and that I just couldn't be smart enough to get the approval of the people around me in my family. And so sometimes I will just be standing there in a conversation and someone's talking about a news thing I don't know about or I didn't hear about. And I will go into flight or flight. Like I will just start to have all kinds of physical- In those scenarios now where it's like, do you feel like you have to prove that you're not stupid or do you pull back and you just don't engage? Now, because of I've understood where that comes from and it's from this fundamental belief and it's this different part of my brain, I now can just relax into it and understand what's going on. And then instead of going at it from a child kind of like perspective of I must punish myself, I must prove myself, I must change myself. It's actually having compassion and kindness and just being like, I don't know what's going on right now. Okay. Should I go talk to someone else? Um, Oh, actually, probably those people have also probably been in a conversation where they didn't really understand what was going on. And if I brought up something, this other person wouldn't know what I was talking about. It's just having actually, you know, part of CPTSD and trauma is that you're having childlike responses in an adult body. And that's what emotional flashbacks are. And so it's being able to come out of that part of your brain and act from, you know, an adult version that can understand nuance. Because the thing too with a child is that there is no nuance. Totally. It's I'm either bad or I'm good. Yeah. And I'm dumb or I'm smart. Exactly. I'm capable or I'm not capable. Yes. And that's just not, you know, that black and white. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it it also sounds like you've gained such a a good understanding of yourself in recent years, but it sounds like for a long period of your life, you didn't behave in this way. Like you would channel the the child in you in the way that you would act in situations. Oh, for sure. 100%. And, And then I would engage in all kinds of destructive behaviors to myself and to others and sabotage myself and sabotage really. I mean, during the pandemic, I and I can't tell you what it is because it I can't, but I was offered basically my dream job. When I started working in media seven years ago and I moved to New York, this was if the someone big, asked you the job, if someone this was asked the me, job. This was the job. Yep. I got a call from the head of that news network. Like, here's the job. He literally called me and I was like, I didn't even know I got my phone number. And he was like, here's the job I want to give you. And I I sabotaged it. Well, and it why? makes because I, I was like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm going to make a fool of myself and everyone's going to find out. They are wrong to think that I am smart enough to do this. And it's like, makes me really emotional because it, you know, and I'm happy of where I am. It was for, you know, it all yeah. happened for a reason. And I'm at a, you know, I've found all kinds of different opportunities that right. I got to do instead of that. So I think it was all part of the master plan. But I've sabotaged myself. And by, do, you, do you sometimes ask yourself, like, if I had the tools then that I have today, would I have made the same decision? I would have made a completely different yeah. decision. Yeah. You know? And again, I'm not going to hate on myself, you totally. know, oh, I'm such a fucking idiot. Like, it, it's just, okay, that happened. Yeah. And now we're learning. And that's also recovery. You know, it, it's not, this is something I've been reminding myself so much of, which is, 
again, codependency or, you know, these limiting beliefs, just because you have been working through it and it comes back one day, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, right? Don't use your recovery as a reason to shame yourself even more or, or again, punish yourself even more. And I think that's something that, yeah, I have to remind myself of all, of all and, the time. And, you know, speaking of codependency, do you still see codependency show up in your life like today? Of course, all the time. And how do you deal with it though? Like, especially even in like a professional context, like, and I can speak to my own experience, yeah. like, it can be really difficult yeah. because you can't necessarily operate kind of at your highest level if you experience codependency with others. So like, mm. how do you how do you navigate it in a way where it doesn't limit you from what you, you know, whatever it is that you want to achieve Mm -hmm. in, in any of the roles that you have? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. There's so many things that are codependency. They won't, we don't even realize are codependency. Mm -hmm. And I think jealousy is actually one of them. Jealousy is a form of codependency. And I think in a, in a professional setting, it's also affected me. And again, I want to talk about it because I feel like we don't talk about it. And jealousy is, again, this double shame thing where not only are you feeling jealousy and it's a shitty fucking emotion. I, t- I talk about this with my fiance oh, all the time is like great. when when I see a certain person doing well. Yeah. And then my first emotional reaction to that is like, oh, that sucks. They're doing well. And then I'm like, wow, you're such a fucking asshole for having a ill feeling about Mm. someone having an accomplishment. And, you know, again, the way that I've worked through it myself is to think, okay, but I can't control that thought right now. Over time, maybe I can Mm. evolve it, but it's more of like, what do I do with that thought? And and how do I understand the story around it? But yeah, I experience this all the time. I think it's really important to talk about it and, and yeah, to just share it in that way. Sometimes I'll just like, look for bad information. Like, I want I want to know that this person is like a bad person. Totally. Or like that they're not that talented or like they're not that smart, right? Yeah. Um, they're not as, you know, the image that I make inside my mind that they are. But again, first of all, I mean, jealousy is also two things. It's putting the other person on a pedestal and making them sort of creating, again, a black and white, no nuance yeah. image of what they are based on one thing that you saw. You're making an entire story. And it's also putting yourself lower than who you are. Totally. And so it's a it's a distortion, really, of two, you know, the, the, a, a two-pronged approach to distortion. And so two things that you can do is, again, understand that, you know, have a full picture of, of who that person is and remember that, you know, let's say that you're seeing all these photos that they're posting about their great relationship yep. and how perfect it is. And you're like, I'm, you know, my relationship is not great or I'm single or I just got, you know, broken up with. It's to remember they have shitty moments in their relationship totally. too. It's yes, some of them are perfect and great, like, you know, not, not perfect, but there are those great moments and those are the ones that they're posting or those are the ones that they're talking about. But there's also moments that they struggle just like you. And it's also making sure that you're, you have a, an accurate portrayal of yourself in, in, in your mind. You're not putting yourself down by using them, by putting them up, you know? Totally. So yeah, it's it's a difficult emotion, but, and, and you know, to your point, the most important, important thing is to just not also then use that as a reason to put yourself even lower because like remember that they probably get jealous and maybe they're probably jealous of you these feelings of career insecurity and jealousy are not groundbreaking revelations they're feelings that everyone faces in the wake of their dream jobs and i love that liz is able to isolate those feelings under the umbrella of being codependent with your career We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll hear Liz's keys to thriving on social media despite her anxiety and how her self-doubt nearly derailed one of her biggest accomplishments.
take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. We're back to our conversation with Liz Plank. Before the break, Liz told me how her self-doubt caused her to self-sabotage a dream job opportunity. But even without that job, Liz continues to create content in front of an ever-expanding audience. So I wanted to understand, how does she manage self-doubt now, given that her baseline is not feeling good enough? You're such a public-facing figure in the work that you do. And it's a great thing in terms of the opportunities it can create for you, your ability to educate others on the work you're doing, but also can be destructive in some ways, reinforcing bad behaviors and even bad ways of thinking. Yeah. How do you try to navigate that? Yeah, it curtails creativity, right? To constantly get feedback about your creative endeavors. And so one thing that I do try and do, and I hate that the algorithms reward you for responding with comments as soon as you post something. Uh, I wish that they didn't do that. If Instagram is listening, uh, stop doing that because, right, you put out something and then immediately you're getting, I mean, and it could be negative, right? And so one thing I try and do is actually kind of cut myself from that feedback. And there's a thing called the reassurance trap. There's a really good book called Needing to Be Sure that I do recommend people read. It's really short, but it's basically this idea that, and, and it, again, comes from codependency, comes from needing checking right? Yep. And we all know like incessantly checking things, incessantly checking numbers on things. I really try not to do that because the reassurance trap, it basically reinforces to your brain the fact that you need to know how well something will do in order to be okay, yep. but you never are okay. Actually, what makes you okay is detaching from it. So whenever I do sense that I'm, again, obsessively checking something, I just kind of stop doing that. And then the other thing that I do is like, do it as a joke. Instead of overthinking how something's going to perform or like, are people going to get this? Or is this a weird, wacky idea? It's just like, do it as a joke. Just do it as a joke. And then a lot of things I've done as jokes have turned out pretty good. You talk a lot about this idea that many of your behaviors in your life are coping mechanisms in some way. And I do think the do it as a joke thing is... And coping mechanisms aren't necessarily bad if you understand them, but it seems like do it as a joke has actually been a really powerful coping mechanism for you in your life, literally since you were a child. (laughs) Yeah. I, I grew up with the best sister in the world. Again, I think we were both kind of like, what's going on here? We never talked about what was going on in my home, but we constantly had fun together. And we, you know, no no surprise to anyone. My favorite thing was using my dad's camcorder and just like making funny videos, which I now get to do as a job, which is spectacular. But my sister and I would make up characters. I had all these different characters that I would do. And we really went and leaned into play. I mean, because we were kids and, you know, that's the best way to really cope with anything. I mean, not to overgeneralized. But a lot of Jewish people are very funny because they've been through a lot of horrible trauma. So that was really something in our family that that we really developed, which was an ability to basically make jokes in very dark times and just roll with it. I want to get to one more thing before we let you go, which is anxiety has also been a big part of your life. Has it been basically since childhood? Yeah, pretty much. 
and it, it has at times impacted your career, right? Like if I read it correctly when I was doing the research, like your book, like there were even times where your anxiety almost kept you from publishing the book. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, totally. I Googled, you know, a month before my manuscript was due, can you give back your book advance? <laughs> Question mark. And I mean, I think I had a full-blown mental breakdown. <laughs> like it was pretty, pretty awful. What was the actual feeling of that? Like paint a picture of you Google searching that in your apartment? Like, yeah, I was in a hotel room. I, I was about to interview the first lady in Canada. Actually, I was in Montreal. And again, it was just, you know, the creative process is like, again, there's nothing that's really linear. But I do think at the beginning, you're like, this is a great idea. Yep. Oh my gosh. And then you're like, oh, this can be a lot of work. Yep. And then right when you're about to finish it, there's that moment where I should have never done totally. this in the first place. I This is a terrible mistake. And then you, if you just keep going a little bit beyond that, then you're going to get to, wow, like this is incredible. And look at what I did. But I was at that zone basically with the book. And again, I was legitimately talking to my family and my, my my friends and family about the fact that I was going to not write the book. And even though I was almost done with it, which is wild. And my sister, uh, we were at a park in Montreal with uh, my niece and we were in a playground environment. And my sister, you know, everyone was basically like, give back the advance, don't do it. Like, everyone, I mean, supportive in that way. Like my parents are just like, don't care. And my sister said, sure give it back, give, give, give back the events, don't write the book. But why don't you give yourself a few days and go back to it when you feel like it. And if you never feel like it, then you can just give back the events. And I was like, okay. And I thought I'm not going to feel like going back to this. This is the worst thing I've ever done. And a couple of days went by and like clockwork, I was like, woke up one day and I sat down and I finished the book. And it all came together in that moment because I wanted to, because I felt like it, because it wasn't this punishing kind of energy. It was this playful energy of like, let's see how this goes. And if I don't, if I don't have fun, I can stop. What do you think was like the, the core of that anxiety? Like, were you feeling anxiety because you were afraid that it was shitty? Yeah. Is, is that, that's what it was? And everyone's going to know, right? Again, I'm, I'm stupid. And now there's going to be proof. Yep. 375 pages of it uh, available in every bookstore, <laughs> right? And it's it's super vulnerable. As you know, making, you know, making a company, making a podcast, make, writing a book, these are, it's like a tattoo for the rest of your life, you know? Oh and it was that fear. And it was the just lack of confidence that I had it in me. And the critical voice just taking over, right? Which is, again, comes from that inner child of like, your brain is trying to protect you when it's doing that. Even though it's not helpful, it's trying to protect you. Liz did end up publishing her book, and it was an absolute hit. It went on to be an international bestseller, and she has since been named on prestigious lists like Forbes 30 Under 30 and Marie Claire's Most Powerful Women. But as we know, external success doesn't equate to internal happiness. And for Liz Plank, someone who struggles with anxiety and self-doubt, sometimes that success can be crippling. Fortunately for Liz, she has found some great ways to help her manage. The most important relationship that I've built over the last few years has been with the eight-year-old version of myself. I'm going to cry again. <laughs> it's been the greatest privilege, actually, of the last few years and really of my life to build a healthy relationship with her. And I hadn't realized how mean I, I was being to her. And I don't know if you've ex ever experienced this. When you are dealing with a lot of anxiety, it's having a drill sergeant inside your head. Yeah. And that's who you think you are. Mm -hmm. Right? 
I remember dating this person and I was like, what's the, what's the voice inside your head? And I was like, mine is like really like me. And like, and it like, I wake up and it's like, let's go, whoa, like here are all the things you didn't do yesterday that we're going to do better today. And, like, and it just shouts. Right. Yeah. And the guy I was dating at the time, he was like, oh, that's interesting. Mine is kind of like a coach. Like, he's just like, you can do it. And I was like, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. have never. Yeah, we are totally, totally different, different strategies right now. Bro, like, that's like, I wish I had that. Right. And I think that's, that's really the goal. But, but yeah, like given my own childhood experience, I hated her. Like, I, I, I just thought she was a problem. I literally thought I'm, I'm the reason everyone is, is not doing well. And so I would literally tell her, shut the F up whenever she had something to say, because that was how I learned to cope with it, which is suppress it, get out of here that we don't, cause I don't have the tools to fix this. Yep. And now I do. And it's completely changed. Now, when I think of her before, when I thought of her, it was this darkness. It was this almost like a child tugging on your arm. And, you know, and I was this sort of impatient parent. And now it's like, it's just light. Like, it's just, I just love her. And, and I'm like, not only are you allowed to be mad and sad, but like, tell me everything. Like, let me pull up my chair and you tell me everything, you know, and I'm going to listen and it's going to be okay. And that is a really new thing for me. And it took a lot of work. And one tip that I would encourage people to do if you're dealing with this and you, yeah, you can't afford therapy or you can't, you know, you don't have a great therapist to walk you through it is to really create like that voice yelling at you, like that drill army sergeant is not you. And so to actually create, like give that person a name, like give them a separate name from yours. And then start relating yeah to that inner child that's being yelled at or that's being and and even try and understand why that voice is yelling what is she asking for why is she upset what what is that pain and the root of that pain and i I find that that's a really good way to again stop identifying because you think it's you you spend your whole life thinking that's just who i am and that's not who you are that's what happened to you it it reminds me a ton of uh richard schwartz the founder of uh, internal family systems Mm. and internal family systems the whole work is about naming the parts of yourself that have basically served really important roles in your life, but they're not all you. And maybe actually it's time for them to evolve. But in order to do that, you have to hear them and also understand it's not your whole self. Um, Gabor Mate talks about it. It's like your depression worked. Totally. Congratulations, right? And it's not a way to dismiss the coping mechanisms or to dismiss the mental health issues that come with it, but that this was actually, again, your brain protecting you. It was doing a very important job. It's incredible. Right. And so it's a way to also not be down on yourself. Like you're not broken. You're actually incredible. You did that. Totally. Right. And not only just tolerating, you know, your, your inner child's needs and, but actually being proud of her and her being proud of you too. Right. That. that whole, I mean, it's just, it's such a beautiful relationship to nurture. Absolutely. Um, okay. To finish up, we're going to do some rapid fire. I promise the first one, we did not steal from your show. It just happens okay. to be the same. Okay. Great. Um, so the first question in our lightning round is, when was the last time that you cried? And why did you cry? Probably, yeah, just in, in therapy and in, because a lot of EMDR uh, is accessing memories that you might not even really remember. And so it's, yeah, sort of accessing certain memories from, from my childhood that were difficult. Yeah. Second question. What is your go-to strategy to turn around a really shitty day where you just basically want to sit down and do nothing, mm-hmm. but you need to get yourself to wake up and be alive. What do you do to help yourself? Oh, um, laughter yoga. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. It's like 
you basically go in front of the mirror and this is it, you are you going to feel like you're you're nuts but it will 100% yep. work you go very good very oh good God. yay like you literally do Wait, that are, like, you, are you doing yoga or no no it's called laughter yoga because oh, no, it's like it's basically just, laughter yeah, yeah. like using laughter and play and you do that in front of the mirror and you do the movements right and or I'll just put on I have a playlist of like songs to get me out of the funk because the you're tempted to like listen to the sad email yep. but you're like no I'm gonna listen to Robin dancing on my own and I'm gonna dance so I, and I'm a very physical, I need to do things with a physical, like meditation. So if meditation doesn't work for you, it's okay. Again, you're not broken. Yeah. You, you have a very complex relationship I, with meditation. Yes, I yeah. do. And so breath work is also like it, because yep. there's more of a physicality and that will help me a lot too. Yeah. You need yeah. some sort of physical activity that yes. will trigger your emotions. Well, it's just basically like, that's how, because tra also trauma is like in the body, right? There's like, you know, the body keeps score. So it's, it's actually okay that you know, to use your body in a way that kind of shakes out the trauma or shakes out the whatever you're going through totally. um, works for me. Um, what's something that motivates you that maybe you're not so proud of? What's something that motivates me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just that reaction. <laughs> I feel like I do, after saying to you that like jealousy is normal and like, don't, it's okay that you feel it. I do feel like pettiness for me works. It's kind for me, pettiness can be nature's antidepressant where it can just help again with jokes. I don't think just being like, this person's terrible and like, but making jokes and maybe it's pettiness, but also mixed with comedy and humor really helps me because yeah, if you make fun of something, then it can't control you. Yep. And I think that that's a really powerful way to do it. But yeah, sometimes I don't feel like the most proud of making fun of other people. But it's effective. Um, but it is effective. In certain instances, it's, I recommend it. Yeah. it. It's a tool in your toolkit. Second to last question. What is your biggest insecurity about your career? And how do you manage that insecurity? Oh my God. I never went to J school. Like I'm not a real journalist. Um, and that our industry sh is changing so much that there's not going to be, a, you know, this is, it, it's, it's over. It's over. I'm done. I'm, you know, moving back to Montreal and becoming whatever. Right. So yeah, I think the, and, and just imposter, I mean, speaking yep. of uh, imposters, it's a uh, definitely imposter syndrome of like, people are going to find out that I'm not really. Yeah, what, 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 when's here. the trick going to be up? When are people going to yes. call me out? Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah, you, for sure. You and me both. Run a, run a media business and ne never once spent time in media before it. But that's the thing. Like, as soon as you do spend time with the people that you look up to, that yeah. was the best thing that happened to me is when I started going on like MSNBC, for example, the first time I went on MSNBC, I blacked out. Like, I cannot tell you a single thing that happened. It oh, was yeah. the scariest experience of my life. But then as I worked there more and I got, you know, I got to be friends with people that were hosts and anchors. I was like, oh, no one knows what they're doing. Like, and it's not a dig to these people. They're incredible, but no one knows what they're doing. Yeah. Like tech is just, no one knows what's going on. It, it's, Everyone's it's so cliche, just, but yeah. everyone truly is faking it. Everyone like, the whole is. Time. So it's okay if you are. Like that's also should be something that reassures, you know, people. Absolutely. Liz Plank, thank you so much for joining <laughs> thank Imposters. Thank you, Alex. This is so great. This thank is great. I am so grateful for Liz's candor in our conversation. When you're someone in the public eye reporting on issues that matter to so many, you can sometimes neglect yourself and your own issues ironically. But that's why I think Liz Plank has set such an amazing example for all of us. She has done the work to understand her traumas and reflect on her own challenges so she can be her own best teacher in her personal and her professional life. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. 
Our show is produced by Michaela Heck and Vishnu Valbanani. Our executive producer is Brian Henry. Our booking producer is A.B. Silver. And our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Sarah Singer is our VP of Multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. <laughs>